Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. Hey, if you're a guest with us this morning, uh, my name is Josh, and along with my wife, Elizabeth, we help lead here at Activate Christchurch. It's so cool to have you with us this morning. Thank you so much for coming out on what looks to be a pretty nice, sunny Sunday morning. I promise we won't keep you for too long. What we're going to do this morning is, was that clapping because I said I wasn't going to keep you for too long? Who was that? You're right, Jared. All the spiritual stuff's happening over on this side of the room. (laughs) Uh, a quick message this morning, and then what we're going to do is we're going to break into literally groups of four or five people. I won't call them clusters because that's not the word that you use these days, but literally, literally groups of people, and we're going to talk about what we've talked about. Uh, and so if you're a guest with us this morning and you think that's a little bit weird, that's okay. You don't have to say anything. Just sit in your literally group and judge everybody else. That's fine. Uh, otherwise, if you invited someone here this morning, then make sure you team up with them uh, towards the end of this morning's service. But uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk this morning about obedience because this morning is the first Sunday in October, and so we're starting our last kind of three-month topic. But if you are a guest here this morning, you might be wondering how it is that we've arrived at obedience. So let's do a quick kind of two-minute recap with chocolate. Yes. Use it. Better have been paying attention over the last few months. So we have been camping this year around a Bible verse. Who can tell me nice and loud what the scripture reference is of the Bible verse? No, shut up. What was it? Second Chronicles 7.14. That's right, Marla. What would you like? You can have a twirl, a dairy milk, a flake, a crunchy, or a moro. Dairy milk. You can't have the picnic because I already ate it. (laughs) I told Josh to go out and buy six chocolate bars, and then I ate one before church even started, so we're down to five. (laughs) All right, so we're talking about 2 Chronicles 7.14. That was our, our verse for the year, and in it, God talks to his people, which is us. He says, if my people who are called by my name, and then he asks us to do four things. Now, what was the first one? My name, well, oh, you go, now you're onto it, right. I'm not giving you one, we're related. What would you like, Anne? Well, it's a big decision. Crunchy, Moro, Flake, or Twirl? Crunchy, all right, here you go. I'm going to run it over to you because I don't want to, it's a big bar. There we go. Oh, okay. If my people who are called by my name, that's right, the first one was humble themselves and blank. Pray, who said Pray. All right, Andrew, twirl, flake, or moro? All right, that's right. You've got to get more go. Get more go on moro. All right, and now a harder one. If my people will humble themselves and pray and blank my blank. What was that, Nikki? Seek my face. Yes, twirl or flake. I'll let you in on a secret. The twirl is pretty much just a flake, but covered in chocolate. So... I'm not sure if you've made the right decision there, Nikki, but that's okay. All right, sing my face. And, and then the last one, and blank from their blank, blank. Turn from their, well, I don't know. Okay, you guys are going to have to split this like 40 ways. Who's, who's, you've already got one, Marla. Put your hand down. Oh, oh, really? Who was that? Was that Michael? I was going to say, man, he's greedy for chocolate, man. All right, there you go, Michael. All right, and, uh, and turn from their wicked ways. And so 
all this year, we've been talking about these four things, right? We've said we're going to talk about humility in the first quarter of this year. Then we're going to talk about prayer in the second quarter. And then seek my face, we talked about intimacy. And then this quarter, we're talking about obedience, right? So turning from our wicked ways, it just means, hey, we're going to focus on what God wants. We're not going to go after what we want. We're not going to go after our own desires, uh, you know, our own ambition. We're going to say, hey, Jesus, what do you want me to be doing? And we're going to go after a lifestyle of obedience. So those four things, humility, prayer, intimacy, and now obedience. And what I want to encourage you to do just before we get started is to not view these four things as kind of like a linear um, playing out in a straight line. So don't imagine like from left to right, you've got humility, prayer, intimacy, and obedience. I want you to picture it as if it's a circle and a cycle that carries on and carries on. So you've got humility. Humility leads to prayer, right? That verse, John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man abides in me and I in him, he will be a much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, all right? Once we recognize it, actually, independent of God, we can't even make our heart beat, can't make our lungs inflate. We're not controlling the mechanisms in our ears. We're not controlling what's happening uh, in our brain. Nothing that we are doing can we actually take any credit for. That's just on a base physiological level. Then you look at the spiritual and all that kind of stuff. And so that's a humbling revelation that actually, independent of God, I can't do anything. And what humility does is it leads to, it should lead to prayer, right? And then prayer, if you're doing that and you're communicating with God and connecting with God on a regular basis, that starts to build intimacy. And then intimacy brings obedience because the more intimate you are with someone, the more you start to pick up what they're passionate about, what they care about, what's important to them. And those things start to become important to you. Anyone who's got married recently will understand what that's like. All of a sudden, what your spouse really cares about, you start to care about. What they are passionate about, you start to get passionate about. And so obedience comes out of a lifestyle of intimacy. But here's the thing. Obedience then develops humility. That's why Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 about Jesus, he said he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. So how did Jesus, the most humble person on the planet, no doubt, develop humility in his life? He did it by becoming obedient. And so we know that humility leads to prayer. Prayer builds intimacy. Intimacy brings obedience, and then obedience develops Humility, and this cycle just goes on and on and on. So even when we finish this year, don't be like, hey, that was a cool, fun four-term project that we did. Actually, this is how you want to live your life in every area. And the truth is that you'll be very humble in some areas, and then there'll be other areas where you carry a lot of pride. All right, this is not like a one-size-fits-all thing. And so you'll go on this journey of developing humility and then inviting God into your life to help you deal with it and then intimacy developing and then obedience coming out of it. And then, boom, you're right back into humility again in another area. Is that cool? So even though we're talking about obedience, my big point is this is not the end of a four-part series. This is a cycle that you should be adapting and adopting into your life. Having said that, we are talking about obedience this morning. So I'm going to just touch on this for 10, 15 minutes, and then we're going to break into groups. So obedience, according to the Cambridge Dictionary, is to act according to what you have been asked or ordered to do by someone in authority. To act according to what you've been asked or ordered to do. Not to speak according, not to think according, not to have views according, not to have opinions according, but to act according to what you've been asked 
to do. This is a verb. A verb is a doing word. You cannot separate action out from obedience. Action trumps intention every day of the week and twice on Sundays. And we all understand that intrinsically. Like We understand that ultimately action is where the rubber meets the road. Right, there's an old proverb, an old saying. I remember hearing it years ago, and it goes like this. It says, hey, five frogs are on a log, and three decide to jump off. How many are left? And everybody says, "Uh, two. The answer is no, five, because there's a big difference between deciding to do something and actually doing it. Right, So action trumps intention every step of the way. And we all understand this. That's why we've got sayings in our life like the blank is in the blank. The proof is in the pudding. What does that mean? Well, actually, good try, Chris. Good try. No, it is taken from a saying, which is the proof is in the eating of the pudding. And it's been shortened to the proof is in the pudding. But what it means is that the pudding might smell good. It might look good. If someone described it to you, it might sound good. But not until you actually eat it can you decide for yourself, right? There is an action associated with it. And maybe another saying, blank speak louder than blank. Actions speak louder than, who knows? Who's heard that saying before, right? We all know that saying and we all know that it's true. Right? What about the road to hell is blank with blank blank? Paved with good intentions. Exactly. And again, it's just saying, hey, you can have the best intentions in the world, but until you actually put them into practice, until you start acting on your intentions, you might as well be paving the road to hell for all that matters. It's a bit of a brutal saying, but there you go. What about, let's put a Bible verse up there. Let's make it legit. As the body without the spirit is dead, so blank without deeds is blank. Faith without deeds is dead. It comes from James chapter 2, verse 26. What is fascinating about this is that what James is doing here is he's comparing faith with the body and deeds with the spirit. Now, if you read through your Bible, you'll know that in every instance, the spirit is elevated above the body. The spirit is, is considered higher than the body. The body is just a tent. It's just, a, you know, it's, just, it's just flesh. Every time you read a comparison between the spirit and the body, the Bible is saying, hey, the spirit's better. The spirit's a higher level. The spirit's a higher uh, awareness. And so what James is saying is that faith is like the body, but deeds is like the spirit. In other words, action is, is higher of higher value than faith in this instance. In fact, he would argue if you read it in context, you can't have one without the other. I don't want to labor the point too much, but you know, the truth is that if you are a body with no spirit, you can, what are you? You're, you're dead, right? Everybody knows this, right? Like we're spiritual people. When our spirits leave our body, our body dies, and it starts to decompose, and it starts to smell, it gets maggots and stuff in it all that kind of gross stuff. Now, the truth is, if somebody's just died, like there's stories sometimes where, where a homeless, sad stories, where a homeless person will die on a park bench and people will walk past for a day or so, not realize that it's happened. Right? You can get away with not having spirit in your body for a very short period of time, but after a while, people start to notice. You give off an odor. 
right? And the same is true for a Christian who has faith, so they say, but then no action. You can get away from it for a while. You could probably get away showing up to church for an hour and a half every Sunday, once a week, people not noticing. Kind of like weekend at Boonies type style. Just weekend at Activate. Sunday mornings at Activate, you come in with people propping you up. Right? But at the end of the day, it is the action that counts. Let's just look at some of the verses that Jesus said about obedience. If you love me, keep my commands. That's pretty clear. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Also pretty clear. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Very clear. You are my friends if you do what I command. Right, so if I were going to have a title for this morning's message, uh, and if you're listening on the podcast, you'll see it's called this on the podcast. I'm speaking prophetically because I haven't even loaded the podcast yet. I haven't even delivered the message, but this is what it's going to be called. It's an inconvenient truth because it's a truth, but it's flippin' inconvenient. And I know it's inconvenient because I have felt the inconvenience of this as I thought about how to communicate what I wanted to communicate this morning. You can't get away from this truth. But I've said this before, like my job, our job here is to equip you to do what God wants you to do. It's to give you an opportunity to grow, to mature in your faith. And a good message should be something that really makes you wrestle with it. If you come to church, and I've said this before, if you come to church and I give a message or whoever's preaching gives a message and you go, oh, that's a great message, I loved it, I agreed with all of it, then all I've done is tell you what you already believe. That's where the phrase comes from, preaching to the choir. You guys know your idioms, it's good, right? You come to church, I preach a message, you go, amen, brother, so great, I loved all of it, I agreed with all of it. Well, then you're going to go home and no part of you has changed because all I've done is tell you what you already think, tell you what your views already are, and just reinforce what you already believe. But if we give a message and you go, oh, oh, I'm not sure, that hurts, that stings a little bit, might have to go away and think about that, then that gives you the opportunity to grow, right? It's It's the sand, the pebble in the oyster, the irritation of the pebble in the oyster that produces the pearl. What does the Bible say about iron sharpening iron, Right? That's, if you've ever seen iron sharpening iron, that is a um, grating process. Thank you. I've run out of chocolate bars because I ate it. <laughs> right, there's sparks flying, it's noisy, there's scratching and stuff going on. The truth is that that is what makes us grow. I watched this fascinating video the other day. Yesterday morning, I was in bed, I was just watching YouTube clips, and I watched this two-minute YouTube clip of Graham Norton. Who's heard of Graham Norton? He's a funny guy. He was interviewing a, a woman called Gwyneth Paltrow. Who's heard of Gwyneth Paltrow? All right. And they were talking about the fact that her dad sat her down one day and told her in uh, less polite language than I'll use that she was acting like a jerk. And so Graham Norton said, tell me about the time that your dad sat you down and said that you were acting like a, like a jerk. And she said, well, the problem is, Graham, she said, I got famous really young. Like I won my first Oscar when I was 26. And she said, the weirdest thing happens when you get famous is that everybody around you starts to remove all the obstacles from your life. This is how she phrased it. She said, they take all the obstacles away from your life. Everything that was hard about your life gets removed or sorted by somebody else. She said, to the point where you can't even stand in a queue for something because you get bumped straight to the front. 
Something as simple as just having to wait for your turn gets taken away from you. And she said, what I didn't realize was that it's the obstacles in life that cause you to grow. It's the things in your life that are hard that cause you to mature. And so all of these things got taken away from me. And yeah, Graham, I started to go a little bit weird. Now, if you've been following Gwyneth Paltrow, that has not stopped, right? (laughs) But her dad sat her down one day and said, Gwyneth, you're acting like a jerk. And, and kind of put her in her place. And next door to her on the couch was this young guy called Tom Holland who plays Spider-Man in all of the Avengers movies. And so Graham said to Tom Holland, he said, does your dad do that? And Spider-Man said, yeah, he does. And Tom Holland's like 21, just this little punk. He's pretty cool. And he says, my dad just says, Tom, you're acting like such a movie star. <laughs> he said, which always really annoys me. He said, but now when he says it, I just say, that's because I am dead. I am a movie star. And I was like, oh. That's a really cool comeback. I've got to start, start using that one. Right, and so anyway, my point is that if you take all of the obstacles out, you take all of the hard stuff out, then you're not going to grow. And so I'm not going to give you a message where we take all of the hard stuff out, all of the obstacles out, because then you're not going to grow. So let's just chuck it right in there. So here's the inconvenient truth, and we're going to discuss this in groups in just a minute. You don't have to agree with this. I've got no problem preaching a message where you go, I like that, I like that, didn't agree with that, not sure about that, don't think that's right. You can do that. That's the beautiful thing. I've had some really big intellectual, theological, philosophical wrestles in my life in the last month or two, and it's just because I had lunch with Shane Willard. (laughs) And he said a bunch of stuff, and I was like, I don't believe that. But I'm going to go away and really look at what I believe and why I believe it. And some of the stuff, I'm like, okay, I've got a greater understanding now of why I believe what I believe. And some stuff, I'm like, actually, I've learned something from that conversation. But I probably have grown more and developed more in my theology in the last couple of months from an uncomfortable lunch where I had to apologize during the lunch a couple of times for coming across like I was being argumentative. I'm like, I'm not trying to be argumentative. I just... I've not heard that position before, so please help me understand where you're coming from. So I'm happy to give a message. You don't have to agree with it is all I'm saying, okay? So here's the statement, an inconvenient truth. Our commitment to Christ is measured by a level of obedience. That's the statement. Not by how often you come to church, not by how much money you give, not by how much you pray, not by how much you think you know about God, not by what you say you do. It's just straight up measured by a level of obedience. Are you doing what God has told you to do? Now, over the coming weeks, we're going to explore in the Scriptures some of the things that Jesus has specifically told us to do, because I think for a lot of us, we're not doing them, not necessarily out of a heart of disobedience, but just ignorance, just not knowing, oh, okay, Jesus has actually commanded us to do this, so what does that look like? Now... That, like I said before, action will trump intention every step of the way. A statement or a saying that you've probably heard which is not that accurate is, it's the blank that counts. It's the thought. That, who's heard that saying? It's the thought that counts, right? That's not true at all, right? Yesterday, Liz was outside in the garden, and I thought, you know what? She's been working in the garden all day. I'm going to make dinner. I'm going to make some pizzas. And so I spent a couple of hours in the kitchen, and I'm just, this really doesn't have anything to do with my sermon. I just want to tell you guys. Um, 
I spent a couple of hours and I, I made the bread, the pizza dough from scratch. You know, I used a Jamie Oliver recipe and I let it prove and rise and then I rolled out the pizzas and I cooked the chicken and I tried to do like this sort of cranberry one and then I did like this kind of Greek one with yogurt and I made my own tzatziki sauce and oh man, I was, I was freaking amazing and I did all this stuff and then I burnt the pizzas and I was so dark because I had spent so much time on it. They weren't like black but they were like dark brown and hard, no good right? And, and I was really frustrated about it. But Liz was still really appreciative because I'd gone to all that effort. Now, how many people know that if she'd come in at the end of the day and I was sitting on the couch and I said to her, honey, I saw how hard you were working outside. And I had the thought, I shouldn't make dinner. But then I didn't. And I sat on the couch. But I want you to know, I thought about it. Do you know what would not happen she would not come and sit down, rub my head and say, you know what, honey? It's the thought that counts. <laughs> that, would, that would not happen. It's, it's, not the, like, it's all the good intentions in the world, right? It is not the thought that counts. It is the action. It is making the decision to do it. Let me finish with this real quick story, which comes out of 1 Samuel 15. So 1 Samuel 15, in a nutshell, you got Samuel, the prophet, you got the king of Israel at the time, this guy called Saul, and Samuel gives Saul some very specific instructions. He says, I want you to go and do X, Y, Z. And so Saul goes off and he doesn't do X, Y, Z. He does X, Y, but he forgets to do the Z. And what Samuel had asked him to do was to make sure that he, uh, that he destroyed all of the livestock of a particular town. Like, we're going to clear the town out. We're going to start over. I want all of the livestock destroyed. And Saul goes in, and he destroys 90% of the livestock, but he keeps the really good ones, the best sheep, the best cows, whatever it was that they were doing. He keeps those. And when you read through the story, uh, you realize that the reason he did it was because the men that he was leading, uh, they wanted to be, them to be kept alive. And so he felt pressured by them to not do what he'd been told. And so Samuel comes along and he says, hey, did you do what I asked you to do? And Saul goes, yeah, I did. And Samuel says, mm, I don't think you did because I asked you to destroy all the livestock and I can hear sheep barring and goats barring and all that kind of stuff. So what's the deal? And, and Saul says, what's the big deal? Like I, I did all of this stuff and actually, he says, actually, Samuel, we kept all that stuff to sacrifice it to God. We're going to give this stuff to God. Now, here's the thing. When you read in between the lines and you understand the Jewish culture, what had happened was these guys that were serving Saul, they said, hey, we want to have a big party. We want to sacrifice all of these animals because after the sacrifice, guess who gets to eat them? We do. And these sheep would look real good. You know, these cows would look real good on a spit. And so they disobeyed God, but they tried to pass it off as a spiritual decision. They tried to spiritualize their disobedience. Their motivation was not to bless God. It was to do what they wanted to do, but then they tried to make it look like it's, it's, it's for God's benefit. Man, I tell you what, it is so easy to fall into the trap of disobeying God and then trying to pass it off as a spiritual decision. Very, very easy to do. And so Samuel, I just love this drawing. Well, look out. What's with his eyes, man? He's, he's looking off in different directions, right? 
Samuel's like so prophetic, he can address two people at the same time. And, and so Samuel says, hey, to obey is better than, this is famous verse that you probably heard in different Christian songs. And uh, it's in verse 22 of chapter 15, where Saul says, hey, we, we were gonna sacrifice all of this stuff to God. And Samuel looks at him and he says, to obey is better than sacrifice. All right, so what we're gonna do now is, uh, Michael, get you to back on a little bit of music just in the background. And I want you to just break into groups, maybe five or six people, four or five people. And there's just a couple of discussion points. We'll do it for 10, 15 minutes. The first discussion point is, uh, I'll need you to click back on my PowerPoint, Caitlin. That'd be awesome. I know I confused you by asking you to put music on. You gotta use the same computer, but let me do this first. So to obey is better than sacrifice. I want you to discuss what does that mean exactly? Like, don't just do that thing that we do in church where you hear a truth and it kind of gets into level one and then you go home and have lunch and you forget about it. Actually, take the time to talk about what does that mean? What does that look like in my life? Are there times where I have probably prioritized sacrifice above obedience? Are there times where I have spiritualized disobedience? Right? Just discuss it. Throw it around. Second thing is the quote from James. Faith without deeds is dead. Is that too harsh? Is he exaggerating there? That's pretty brutal to say that you can have faith, but if you're not acting on your faith, then your faith's dead. It's pretty harsh. Is that, is that true? And then the third thing is this statement, our commitment to Christ is measured by a level of obedience. In any particular order, you can just discuss these. So great. Turn your chairs around. Find someone. Four or five people. Turn that music up for